Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Was elected a state representative from the 38th district. He's just a few months into his first term. We wanted to talk to him and find out what motivated you to run for the General Assembly. What are your legislative priorities? And what's a nice guy like you doing in a place like that? Nick, <laughs> welcome. Have a good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So when I decided to run, it was January 2020. Um, and the world was a much different place at that point. And, yeah. uh, you know, we were in the middle of a big economic boom. There were there were a lot of great signs on Main Street and Wall Street for, for many people um, and my background as a certified public accountant, I felt was a good fit to kind of harness that energy and make sure that the Mon Valley area and the, the areas I represent maximize the benefit of, of the economic boom that we were going through at that point. Um, fast forward um, 10 weeks later, and yeah. I, the world started to shut down in the middle of March. Uh, so it transitioned away from how can we benefit from this these great economic times to how do we make sure that the communities of this area aren't left even further behind? Because in my opinion, I believe the Mon Valley is um, probably the least developed of the regions in Allegheny County at this point. And, mm-hmm. and that's partially because we were the first developed region, sure. right? So now it's, it's, the cycle is coming back to this region, and we've got to make sure that all the resources on the local, county, federal, state are coming back to this area so that we can you know, revitalize and have a renaissance for, for the Mon Valley region. So um, you asked why I started to run, and yeah. the reasons I started to run are a little bit different than the reasons I continued to run after, the, after COVID um, impacted all of us. But obviously, um, my family has lived here in, this mon- in my legislative district, actually, since before the American Civil War. Um, so we've lived here a very long time. Generations on both sides of my family have gone back here for a long time. So this is always a region that I thought could succeed, and I believe in the people that live here. And I want, I saw an opportunity to run for the state house and, and kind of um, put my money where my, my mouth was and, and help, uh, help the region as much as possible. Uh, Nick Pisitano is our guest. He is the uh, newly elected state representative for the 38th district. Uh, we're going to ask you a couple of times to give your office information where people could reach out to you. But first, I want to ask you, what communities are all included in the 38th district? Sure. So I represent uh, portions of the Mon Valley, which include uh, Liberty Borough, Portview Borough, Glassport Borough, Javosburg Borough, West Mifflin Borough. And then I, my district stretches a little bit towards the South Hills and includes Pleasant Hills Borough, South Park Township, Baldwin Borough and Whitehall Borough. Uh, some communities with some very different needs. There are similarities, of course, but as, as you mentioned, the Mon Valley area has continued to struggle since the 1980s with development, and you have some of those communities. But Baldwin and Pleasant Hills, I think of as more stable suburban communities. Is that accurate from your travels through the district? Yeah, I like to say that in my district um, is very representative of the region as a whole. So we have these post-industrial communities uh, along the Mon Valley that you know really need some economic help, have issues with transportation, um, have is- issues with development and losing population, things like that. Uh, we have communities the next kind of the next step up that maybe 
have a little bit of development, but have, still have a lot of untapped potential. And then we have communities that are more solidly economic, um, have a more solid economic footprint. Uh, however, uh, there are similarities. Transportation is a major yep. issue in every part of my district. You know, in McKeesport, in the McKeesport Mon Valley area, it's a little bit different than it is in the Whitehall area, yep. but it's still a big, big issue for for residents and constituents. Um, you know, many of the problems are the same problems. They just take a kind of a different. Um, they're in a different guise, right? They they approach they approach people in a different way in McKeesport versus. Whitehall. Um, school funding is a, is yeah. a great example, right? Um, transportation, we already mentioned. Economic development. Uh, we've seen very recently with these large flash flood summer storms, yeah. how infrastructure and flooding, you know, happens everywhere, right? And it can come dangerous. It destroys property. That doesn't um, only happen in the Mon Valley or only in the South Hills. It affects all those communities equally. And the solutions to those problems have to be holistic in the way that they address not just the, the way those um, problems manifest in the valley but also how they manifest in the south hills communities if i remember correctly you were and you may still be involved with the west mifflin community foundation correct i was a past president i'm no longer involved okay. because of my new role I, how did, so you, you had some experience working with some of the different charities and, and nonprofits in the west mifflin area how did that inform your decision to run? Like, what needs did you see through that role in the West Mifflin Community Foundation <clears throat> when you ran? Decided, oh, that these are things that my district is going to need. Yeah, it was it was actually a positive interaction in in the way that when I w- was the president of the foundation, which was a you know a volunteer, completely volunteer run nonprofit five hundred one three C. We had very positive interactions with former Representative Bill Quartz and State Senator Jim Brewster uh, when we went to them and asked them for help with with certain initiatives. You know, they were always supportive. Um, Both of them, along with U.S. Steel, helped us build a dog park in West Mifflin that Mm -hmm. is very well received to this day. It's a community asset, and it costs the taxpayers nothing because we were able to co- coordinate private industry, public partnerships, and make and bring that, that facility to West Mifflin for no charge to the taxpayer, which was a, a, a win-win-win for everyone. Um, so when Representative Courts decided to retire, I saw the potential of his office and how not only could it help West Mifflin, but it could help the broader region in, in, in working just as hard as he did to make sure that we got um, – money and economic development in this area you stepped into kind of you've, you've just mentioned you stepped into kind of big shoes in with bill quartz who is a very quiet person and was <laughs> not did not like to take the spotlight very often but everyone who has ever met him i think has come away um with a good impression uh, even if you just saw him riding his motorcycle around yep. which he would ride his motorcycle to different events and things did uh representative quartz have any advice for you when you got elected Oh, plenty of advice. Trust okay. me. Um, you know, Bill was a very dedicated, stu- very dedicated legislator for the area. Um, he had grown up here, worked in, in the Irvin Works, and really understood the needs of the community. So, even to this day, we talk, um, you know, about the history of some things and how something that he tried a couple years ago and why it didn't work, so that so that there was no. Um, loss of the during the transition from him to me historically of what have happened before and and what the players were in in various situations so he's a he was a tremendous asset when he was our representative but he's even more of an asset to me as I continue his work today uh, Nick Pisitano is the newly elected state representative for the 38th district which includes uh, the community surrounding McKeesport also Pleasant Hills and uh, 
Baldwin and West Mifflin. Uh, can you give people your office number if they need to get a, re- get a hold of you? Sure. So we have uh, two offices. Our main office is in Dravosburg, across from the Betters Plant at 751 Pittsburgh McKeesport Boulevard. Uh, the number there is 412-466-1940. But we also have a second office in the Baldwin area, and the number over there is 412 412- Eight eight six two eight seven zero, and we will give those numbers out uh, again later on in the half hour. As you mentioned, you decided to run in January of twenty twenty. Uh, we were just starting to hear about this coronavirus that was uh, ravaging uh, China and parts of the Far East, and pretty soon had made the leap to the rest of the world. How did that impact your campaigning? Uh, you know, for for local office, including state representative offices, most of the time people are going door to door. They're going to community festivals and firefighter carnivals and stuff like that. How, how did you get out and actually meet people in the district? Yeah, any elected official will tell you that the first time they run for office is uh, just a crazy time. And um, for me, the first time I was running for office was also during a global pandemic, mm. so it was exponentially even crazier. Um, and really, during the initial shutdown, people will remember, nobody really understood what was going on. And it was very high caution, you know, the lockdown period, everybody needed to stay home and and weather the storm a little bit. And obviously, that put the brakes on our campaign. Yeah, um, We went, you know, f- fully digital, Facebook, social media, email, phone calls, things like that. But we really put the brakes on the campaign because nobody wanted to talk about elections Mm -hmm. during that period. Everybody were worried about their health and the well-being of their families. And quite honestly, so was I. Right. So we kind of put the brakes on for a little bit while we were trying to figure everything out. Um, I did work on, you know, kind of a daily update on what we were seeing from the county data and the state data to try and distill it down for how it impacted our region. So um, I mentioned before that I worked as a CPA before. Mm So. I, I like driven. I like the numbers. I yeah. like the data. So I was sure. I was trying to take all that information in from all the different sources and and distill it down to what it actually meant to the constituents of House District 38. And you know what was our caseload in our communities? You know what was the caseload in the surrounding communities? Was the trend line up? Was it down? Um, so we did do a little bit of that during you know that very uncertain spring period in 2020. Um, once we got into the summer and things started to clear a little bit, you know we were. We were able to go to a couple events, you know, masking and distancing and things like that. But it certainly was an unconventional campaign. <laughs> and, yeah. and then in the fall, when we got to the general election, um, there was obviously a, a much higher rate of mail-in balloting. And there yeah. were some changes to the election process that, you know, kind of came at, you know, we found out about them at the same time everybody else did. You yeah. know, everybody was adjusting and we were just adjust- trying to be as nimble as possible during those periods so that we could get to people in a way that they felt safe and that we weren't encroaching on, you know, their personal space or making them feel uncomfortable, but also um, working to introduce me and my ideas and my vision for the future and asking for their vote. How did that digital divide, as they call it, how did that um play into the people that you met in the district? Because we've talked about this a lot on this program. A lot of folks around here don't have great internet access. I talked to someone just over the past weekend who I said, can I email this to you? And she said, I only use my phone for Facebook. I don't really even have email. So talk a little bit about that. How did you reach the people who are not wired or not online? Yeah, to be quite honest, we probably didn't do a good job of that because there weren't many other options. Um, We did do some uh, door-to-door where we weren't really knocking on doors and talking to people. We were dropping off information. Or if someone happened to be in their yard, you know, Mm -hmm. we could stay 10 feet apart and have a brief conversation and things like that. So there was some of that 
um, traditional campaigning in person, um, but very little. And like I said, we probably did miss a lot of people because of their the lack of connectivity, and that was really the only avenue we had. Um, but it it raises a really good point about infrastructure and and how. There are certain communities in Pennsylvania and Allegheny County and, and in the Mon Valley that just don't have good access to many public services, including Internet. Um, recently, we've seen issues with water due to that fire that we had last week, but um, that's kind of a one-off issue. But there are pervasive infrastructure deficits um, in the Mon Valley area, and infrastructure includes water access, includes Internet access, includes um, stormwater flooding issues that we've seen this summer and how we deal with those um, and so it really high, the campaign and the limits that we had during the campaign really highlighted some of the structural infrastructure challenges we have in the area. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with State Representative uh, Nick Pisitano. He is newly represented in the 38th District. Uh, when we come back, let's talk, pick that up with the infrastructure and let's talk about some of the things that are on the horizon, including uh, the possible extension of the East Busway and the Monfayette Expressway. Support for this broadcast comes from Strifler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Strifler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Strifler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Strifler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifler's.com or call 41 41- one two six seven eight six one nine one. You mentioned uh, before we took the break that your family first came to this area be- during the Civil War era. Before the Civil War, so we're not exactly sure what year they emigrated yeah. um, from Wales and England. Um, but there is a, a headstone in a graveyard in Travosburg that has, I think, eighteen fifty seven on it. So it was some time before then. Um, and my maternal side, my maternal ancestors came from the Wales and England uh-huh. and my paternal side is from um, Naples and Italy so, so uh, and came to western Pennsylvania to build a better life for themselves there was boat building and iron and coal mining and if they were Welsh they probably came here for the coal mining yep. and the iron right because that was yep. big industries in Wales yeah I mean these are the people that even predated Pittsburgh's heyday as the steel titan right. of America right and so they were here before steel to be honest um and back then all these communities that we talk about today i don't think existed i'm not really sure when mckeesport was founded but i know west mifflin didn't exist at that at that point and many of the communities i represent today were just farmland um and the my ancestors came over to work in the coal mines or work in the iron factory or shipbuilding and it could have been anything we're not really sure um but like i said earlier we have a you know my family has been here for a very long time and not really left in the inter- intervening period. And, you know, many of my constituents have a very similar story. Um, the Mon Valley is, and, and the Allegheny County region in general, but the Mon Valley specifically, there are many families who have come here and stayed here for many, many generations. Um, it's not uncommon uh, to for a family, a, a son or daughter, to buy a home on the same street they, they grew up on, right? That's And when you go to other parts of the country or even other parts of the state, and you tell people stories like that, it just doesn't compute. They're yeah. like, what do you mean your family has lived there for five generations? You know, yeah. nobody left, you know. Yeah. And so if you, if you, when I talk to colleagues from Philadelphia or something like that who haven't even lived in their legislative district for very long comparatively because they just have a much more transient kind of part of the state, um, it's just a different, different world. And there's, there's deeper roots in this area. So I'm very proud to represent this area that my family's lived in for this long. 
1795. That's when McKeesport was founded, in case there's a pop quiz later <laughs> on. I want everybody to be able to write that down. Well, let me ask you then, because th- this is a question that every I, you know, I was born and raised in the Mon Valley myself, but this is a question that literally I have heard since I was in high school, and that is, how do we keep our young people here? How do we keep them from leaving? What kept you from leaving besides the fact that you know, there are five generations of your family here? Yeah, I think it's a complicated and complex question that doesn't have one single answer. Um, I think economic opportunity is always going to be the number one driver of a place's desirability. If people can get good jobs and buy a house and put down roots in, in, in a community, they're going to do that, especially if they already have ties to that community, you know, nine times out of ten. Um, so obviously the economic challenges in the Mon Valley, you know, maybe probably drive some of our young people further away just because there isn't as much economic opportunity here as there is in the city or other parts of the county or other parts of the state or other parts of the country. And uh, that's, you know, if if you think about that, that is a major challenge that we have to find a solution to in the political world. Um, it's not just, it's a policy, it's how do we design policies that make these kind of areas more attractive um, and, you know, Representative Austin Davis and Representative Jess Benham and Representative Summer Lee and Representative Brandon Markosik, yeah. we are all less than 35 years old and we all represent the, this portion of the Mon Valley. I think if you trace the valley from, if you trace the Monongahela River from the point downtown all the way to when it leaves the county in Elizabeth, every representative or nearly every representative that represents that, that part of the river is under 35. So, I think you've seen that you've there are a millennial caucus here in Allegheny County. Exactly. And yeah. it's kind of a, a passing of the torch, right? Yeah. A generational sure. passing of the torch. And many of us or all of us are focused on how can we make sure that people our age move back or stay here? Um, because it's, you know, without that next generation staying here, the communities just don't really have a future. Right. Um, so it's it's an important thing to try and understand what are the barriers, why are people leaving, why are people not coming back, and how can we address those issues policy-wise. Uh, Nick Pizzitano is our guest this morning. He is a state representative from West Mifflin. Uh, his district also includes Drosburg, Portview, Liberty, Pleasant Hills, uh, Baldwin, Glassport. Am I missing anybody? Liberty Borough. Liberty Borough. How can I? I grew up in Liberty <laughs> Borough. How can I miss Liberty Borough uh, of all places? And we're talking about just took office here in January. What surprised you uh, walking into the, the, the state capitol for the first time, not as a visitor, not as a tourist, but as someone who is working there now? Uh, what surprised me was more, um, I don't know, the building is beautiful and it's a tremendous honor to, to, to look up and see the building that you work in every day. And, and it's also a weighty uh, responsibility um, for, you know, I'm here representing 60,000 people in the Mon Valley, South Hills area. I have to wake up every day and do the best job I can for those people. Um, but the thing that surprised me the most was just honestly how hardworking and wonderful many of the people that work in the Capitol are. Um, I have not had a bad interaction with any person up there. Um, you know, they're very helpful, they're very kind. Uh, everybody is very respectful of each other. Um, sometimes I think. You expect it to be a little bit more of a blood sport up there uh, because of the political nature of the job. Um, But there are many representatives from all over the states, from both parties that I've had dinner with, I've had conversations with, who have done nothing but magnanimous and polite, uh, welcoming there, saying if you need anything or have any questions. So that's the the other elected representatives, but also the staff, too, have been very kind and very helpful. And 
Um, I'm not sure I expected that at the beginning. I think I hoped that was true, but uh, (laughs) you sometimes expect the worst, and I was pleasantly disappointed. Pleasantly disappointed is. Incidentally, we should talk about the economic activity that apparently (laughs) is going on outside of our window. Uh, The railroad decided to do some construction uh, right outside of our studio window, so uh, if if you hear the noise, that apparently is is what's going on. Nick Pesitano is our guest for uh, a few more minutes. Again, one of the ongoing issues probably since I've been in high school has been the discussion of the Monfayette Expressway. Now, construction, that's not what we hear outside, but construction has resumed on that, or at least the property acquisition has resumed on that. What, what is your take on that? Is that something that you want to see go forward, and what are you hearing from people in your district about that expressway being extended up to Duquesne? within the next leg. I've always taken the position that it's a tremendous economic asset for the region, and I understand people's skepticism because it's it's been a long, long time coming. Um, they've been talking about it for decades at this point, but rest assured, it is happening, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it will be completed. The connection from Jefferson Hills to Duquesne will be completed in the next six years. Um, so in parts of West Mifflin, parts of Dravosburg, uh, property acquisitions are complete. They've started to build out a lot of the, the base infrastructure for the highway itself. Um, and you will see over the next couple of years more and more activity to, to build that road. And you'll actually see the road coming through. It comes directly through West Mifflin and Dravosburg, through my, the heart of my legislative district. Um, so I've been very heavily involved in those discussions to make sure I completely understood. And I think um, once it is completed to Dravo- or um, once it's completed to Duquesne, it will, be, you know, it'll connect that area of the Mon Valley to the broader ins- uh, transportation network. But also, the last leg con- connecting it from Duquesne to Monroeville will be a huge boon for the community um, because it would really put anybody who's sitting in the Mon Valley only a few minutes away from the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Where I live in West Mifflin, right by Kennywood, it's probably a 20, 30 minute drive to the Turnpike. Once this project's done, it'll be seven minutes from my house to get on the Turnpike. So that op- opens up a lot of opportunities for business, for homeowners, it raises property values. If you work in Monroeville, you might not want to buy a house in Glassport right now because it could be a 35, 40 minute commute. With the new road, it might only be a 10, commute, 10 minute commute. So that make that opens up a lot of the housing market to, to other developed areas. And it hopefully brings some businesses into our area that, that rely on that broader transportation network. So the example I always give is if you own a trucking company, um, there are a, a lot of brownfield land available along the Mon- banks of the Monfail- along the banks of Monongahela River, where you could easily set up your trucking company, safely store your trucks, and you could easily get your trucks from their place onto the turnpike in less than ten minutes. So um, that's just one of the examples that I think the the expressway will bring to the region. How does it tie into public transit? Because there has been an increasing awareness of the importance of public transit. Nick Pisitano, by the way, is our guest. He's state representative from the 38th District. Uh, I know uh, State Representative Austin Davis, who represents the district next to you, he has pointed out how so much of the development in the East Liberty Corridor of Pittsburgh is what he calls transit-oriented development, right? It's, you know, people want to live right on that um, MLK East busway so they can zip back and forth from work to school to home to wherever. Uh, What role do you see transit playing in that expressway development, and how would you like to enhance public transit funding, which is in danger again right now? Yeah, so complicated question again. Uh, The the busway and extension of the busway uh, is the number one priority for legislators in this area. Uh, We've made it clear to our federal counterparts that 
if there is an infrastructure bill coming out of D.C., we want the busway to be very high on the list Mm -hmm. um, because the busway itself is very efficient and effective at moving people in and out of the city and into the east suburbs. Um, If we brought that busway all the way down to McKeesport, it would be even more effective for this area, provide, again, easy transportation into the the areas where there are a lot of jobs, right, which makes the property more valuable um, here in the valley. Uh, So... Obviously, the busway is a big deal, and the the way that the expressway ties into that, you know, is still kind of up in the air because yeah. the expressway's timeline to be completed is about ten years in the future. The expressway is we're not sure yet, uh, but there will be synergies there, right? Because it'll be the buses can use the highway too. So there will be if there if the busway is extended, then it'll be easier to get into the city from here, but it'll also be easier to get from the city to Monroeville if you took if you lived in McKeesport and you took the bus out from the city, you could get a bus out the busway, then on the bus and onto the expressway to Monroeville, and it'll just really make the transportation much more convenient and efficient in this region and really just connect us to the broader transportation network even better. Let let me shift gears. Um, I know we're talking about transportation. It's not meant to be a pun. Uh, Nick Pisitano is our guest here for a few more minutes uh, as we talk about his district, the 38th legislative district. U.S. Steel was planning a $1.2 billion investment. They've got three facilities. One of them's in your district in West Mifflin, the Irvin plant. Another one is Clareton uh, plant. And the third one is Edgar Thompson, which is in Braddock and and North Braddock. Uh, They canceled that uh, investment to the surprise and dismay of a lot of people, including you. You wrote a a pretty good uh, opinion piece about the the need for, for that investment. Do you see any chance of that coming back? Are there any talks going on between the state and U.S. Steel that you're aware of that might resurrect part of that? Uh, Yeah. So it's actually um, right now I'm very optimistic because my op-ed and for your listeners, I'll give you a quick background is uh, my op-ed basically laid out that there is a future for U.S. Steel manufacturing here in the Mon Valley. Um, The <clears throat> when that announcement came out, you know, I didn't have any. I saw it in the news just Same with everybody, everybody else. else. Yeah. yeah, and I was only a couple months on the job at that point. So um, for the next week or so, I spent all kinds of time talking to U.S. Steel, talking to local officials, state officials, federal officials to try and get my hands around what happened and what the path was forward. Um, and we've actually had a number of very positive conversations as elected leaders and as industry and labor. And I think we're headed in the right direction. So there is an an outcome in the future where um, everyone bands together to kind of invest in the Mon Valley Works. Those three plants collectively are known as the Mon Valley Works. And the way we do that is that we help U.S. Steel develop cleaner, more efficient ways to make steel. Um, And, you know, in the same way that we have Pitt and Carnegie Mellon that are these wonderful researchers in medical and robotics and technology – um, we harness those local assets to try and to to develop the technology that kind of already exists in Europe to use cleaner ways to make steel that doesn't have such a huge carbon footprint. So it replaces the use of coal um, with other materials, natural gas or hydrogen, that allow them to create steel um, in the same way that they do now, but with a much, much smaller carbon footprint. In addition to it also being good business in the way that it keeps all the plants competitive, keeps the jobs here locally. So that's kind of the end goal. Um, And at leaders at all levels of government and in the private sector and the public sector have talked about how we get there. And actually, last week, um, Connor Lamb, Rich Fitzgerald, Austin Davis met with the the federal secretary of energy and labor union leaders – 
private industry to kind of hash out what that looks like in the future. So it's definitely something that's ongoing. But I'm right now I'm optimistic about the future for those for the jobs here. Um, quite honestly, there is no place in the world that U.S. Steel could make steel as efficiently and effectively as they do here because we have generational knowledge and um, infrastructure here that that makes it just super cost effective for them. So they don't want to leave, but we need to help them get to the next point where they can um, be competitive and we can make sure the jobs stay here. This interview has been edited to fit into this broadcast time period. To hear the rest of our interview with State Representative Nick Pizzitano, visit our website at TubeCityOnline.com and click the podcast link. Nick Pisitano is a state representative for the 38th district. He's um, in his first term representing those Mon Valley communities that he mentioned. I was going to go through all of them, but Portview, Liberty, Glassport, West Mifflin, Baldwin, Whitehall, South Park. Mr. Vosberg. Ah, not that time I'm Mr. Vosberg. <laughs> uh, Representative Pisitano, thank you so much for taking some time to come in with us, even with the uh, railroad deciding to park outside of our window and make noise. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.